episode number 42, Peter Hartwell. And welcome back to the Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. And I am your host, Michael Cruz. And once again, it has been a little while since I've released an episode of the Title Block, but we are back. And I want to get some uh, housekeeping out of the way first, as there has been a great change around the Title Block studios. Uh, I have actually started full-time school once again. I know, and you may say, but you're so old. Yes, I know, it feels that way. Uh, as you may have surmised from the last Bellows release, I am indeed starting medical school here in the Hammer, Hamilton, Ontario. And I've, uh, and I've uh, just finished moving here, so I'm getting back into editing these uh, things, and we'll get, be getting uh, the, uh, more episodes out over the next several months. Uh, I had a great opportunity, actually, to record seven or eight terrific interviews at the beginning of the summer, including this upcoming interview with set and costume designer, Peter Hartwell. Uh, so have no fear. I'm going to continue to release these great chats over the next several months. Unfortunately, the bellows will still be a bit spotty as I'm no longer living in Toronto, and I'll find it hard to get there on that special Monday every month to record. But uh, I am trying to figure something out, so don't worry about that for now. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Lindsay Ann Black, who had been doing uh, or has been doing a terrific job of managing social media for the title block. Uh, And I pay her to do so, I want to note. Uh, Prior to the summer break, we had uh, actually doubled our subscribers uh, in a few short months. She was just, her work has been just great. Uh, And I hope that she'll continue to spread the word about this podcast, uh, about the history of theater design in Canada. And on that note, I would like to thank the precious few people who continue to support the show through Patreon. Uh, It's even more important now that I'm beginning to, you know, accrue a bit more student debt, or uh, a lot more student debt. Uh, And it's important that uh, I ask to help you to support the show. Please go to patreon.com and find the title block. Uh, Throw us a couple bucks an episode so at least I continue to pay uh, LAB to bring you you great social media posts and to promote the show. Uh, And to cover things like uh, web hosting. Uh, And in fact, uh, a new recorder. Yeah, I had a mishap over the summer and it needs to be uh, replaced, unfortunately. You know, it never ends, really. Um, So, uh, you know, dig into that coffee change and help support our collection of Canadian theatre history. Now, on to my conversation with Peter Hartwell. Uh, Peter actually began his career in England, and there will be about half the show that you that uh, will have a lot of names and places that you may not be familiar with. Uh, so if you go to the show notes, uh, you can follow the links for some context so you can understand the roots of Peter's career in the 70s and 80s before he came to Canada in the early 90s. Uh, just a very quick note about the audio. Peter and uh, his partner Jane Dagg have a very cute puppy uh, that got a bit jealous there at the end. So please forgive, uh, you know, those whiny uh, puppy sounds. I tried to cut in and around them so they're not too bad, but the uh, cuteness factor goes way up there at the end. So without any more chatter from me, here's my interview with designer Peter Hartwell. Peter Hartwell is a Canadian theatre designer who spent the first 17 years of his career in England working all over the world, um, which is quite a feat to be in England and all over the world at the same time, and returned to Canada in 1990 to become a senior Canadian designer. I am joining Peter in his home in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Peter, welcome to the title block. Thanks, Michael. Awesome. It's great to have you here. So let's start about your early career. You uh, started in Canada. 
Uh, you grew up in Canada, is that correct? You're born yeah, here? I grew up in Dundas. Ontario. Yep. Great. And what brought you to the theater? Like, why would someone growing up in Dundas and when? The early, late High school 60s? productions. Yeah. And then uh, when, I, uh, when I finished grade 13, I, uh, I went to Queen's University. And Queen's at that time, I don't know about now, but certainly in that time, had a really good theater department. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was run by a guy called Fred Yeringer. Um, who actually was on sabbatical the first year I went, so I didn't really get to know him until later. And uh, I met a guy there called Gavin Semple. Yeah, Gavin was the, I don't know, the TD or the technical... He he designed school, uh, university productions. And Anyway, he was a cool guy. I liked him very much. And, um, and we went to um, that March, had to be March... 73 we went to a whole group of people from queens went to the um went to london on a theater tour during reading week march and gavin had an interview with a woman called percy harris margaret harris who was one of the motley's famous group of three ladies who um designed through the 30s 40s 50s 60s percy was 76 when Gavin and I met her, and she was still head of design at the English National Opera, the Sadler's Wells, and she was still working, which is pretty impressive, and she ran this school. Anyway, Gavin uh, had an interview with her uh, on that theater tour, or that theater trip, and she accepted him onto the design course. So... The same, the same trip was run the next year, and I went on that trip again and visited Gavin, and, uh, and I had an interview with her, and um, she gave me an assignment. The idea was to go away and work on this, submit a, a, a design, and the... <laughs> The play was saved by Edward Bond. Right. I couldn't, I mean, I, I think I was 19, right. 20. Didn't understand it at all. I had no idea. Anyway, I, I sent this thing off, and um, I, got, all I, I just remember I was working as a summer student at the public utilities in Dundas, and my mother showed up in a car with this acceptance letter. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was a surprise. And um, I, I was also accepted at the same time. Within a week of one another, these letters arrived, one from Percy Harris accepting me on the course, and the other from the National Theatre School mm-hmm. accepting me there, but not in the design department. Oh, really? only, yeah, only on the, uh, the technical side. Did you have to do, like, was there a, a portfolio review with, with NTS, or was there... Um, Did they do you know what? No, I can't remember. No, I can't remember. I don't remember at all. I kind of blanked NTS out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Percy's course was it was only a year long. Right. So if it if it didn't turn out, then I could just go back to Queens, or I could reapply to NTS, or uh, you know. So, and the the great thing about Percy was that she. Uh, I mean, she had designed at the Royal Court. She had designed, and her sister was married to George Devine, who started the court in '56 with Tony Richardson. He separated from Percy's sister Sophie, 
and started to, well, he had an affair with a woman called Jocelyn Herbert. Mm -hmm. Jocelyn had been a student of Percy's at the old Vic school, I think just before the war. Um, And Jocelyn was sort of, not officially, but designed a lot of shows at the the, uh, Royal Court um, in the 50s and 60s. Anyway, I... uh, George Devine came down from Oxford to London and was the Motleys, and that was Percy, um, her sister Sophie, and a woman called Elizabeth Montgomery. Three women had this atelier in off the Kingsway in the West End. Um, and then George was their accountant. Devine was their accountant, <laughs> or their, their office manager. Um Long story short, anyway, I I eventually, somewhere in the 80s, ended up being Jocelyn's assistant for a couple of years. I worked with her on uh, Lulu, the opera at the Met. Mm -hmm. It was directed by, and John Dexter at the time was sort of the artistic director of the Met. But anyway, I worked for her on Lulu, and I worked for her on a very famous production at the National, at the Olivier, called Bertolt Brecht's Galileo. And it was, and that was also directed by Dexter. Mm -hmm. He was fantastic. Anyway, anyway, exciting times. Um, and Dexter, of course, had been one of the. After Devine had died, the, the the royal court kind of fell to, sort of four, directors. There was Bill Gaskell, mm-hmm. um, uh, Tony Page, John Dexter, and Lindsay Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, all quite different from one another, but um, I ended up, I didn't, I'd met Lindsay Anderson maybe once or twice because of working for Jocelyn, Um, and she was his favorite Mm -hmm. designer. I did end up getting to know Dexter fairly well, and I certainly got to know um, Bill Gaskell very well because I ended up doing three or four shows for Bill. And the interesting thing, sorry, Percy had designed, um, I guess it was in the 40s, maybe late, no. It had to have been in the 50s. It had to have been after George Devine had taken over or started the court. There was um, a notion that there would just be a a neutral set that would work for all shows. And it was first done, first used for Alec Guinness's um, Mackers. So anyway, there's there's this kind of weird long connection that I've had with the royal court in that the woman who I studied under had had a long-standing relationship with the royal court through both personal and professional situations. The odd thing is when I went to England, I didn't know anybody. Um, I was just, and I was green, really green. And I ended up living... Living in, it's called, uh, on a pub, the only pub on Sloan Street. Mm-hmm. And the deal was I would get up at 6 in the morning, clean up, you know, take in the deliveries, that, uh, and then finish at 9 or 9.30. I got free board. Mm-hmm. And event, uh, I got free room to live in. Eventually, after the governor got to know me, um, I got one meal a day as well. Right. And then eventually he was paying me 10 pounds a week. So I was like making a lot of money for me. I've never been that wealthy, in fact. Because I was also doing a show at the Half Moon Theater, which paid me six pounds a week. 
So I was making 16 pounds a week. It was like, anyway, that pub on Sloan Street, in order to get to the school, I had to go through Sloan Square. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Royal Court is located. And I would, anybody who had anything to do with that theater was like a god and a hero to me. And um, I never, ever thought I'd be fortunate enough to work there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would, you know, not on the way to school, but on the way back from school, because the district and circle line went through Sloan Square, and the school, the um, the rehearsal hall for um, the opera, was in Aldgate, Aldgate East. So at night, when I'd come home to the pub, I'd get out at Sloan Street or Sloan Square, and I'd think I'd stop at the at the pub just to see who was there, you know, and who was hanging out and what was going on. And and um, the course was, Percy ran the course in uh, with a partner or a cohort whose name was Hayden Griffin. And that year, when I started going on the course, Hayden had designed a show that was on the main stage at the Royal Court, directed by Lindsay Anderson, called The Farm. Um, like I was walking with giants, you know, like been in Dundas two months ago and now I'm, you know, anyway. Um, so eventually I guess my, my ambition was that one day I'd really like to work at the Royal Court. I came back to Canada for that brief moment in November 74. Uh, I don't know what made me figure that this was a dead end for me at that point in my life, uh, or career. So I went back to England, and um, just beside the rehearsal halls for um, the English, I guess by then it had become the English National Opera, uh, it was a place called Camperdown House, which was where they had the um, rehearsal hall. Mm -hmm. And just off a little cul-de-sac to one side of, outside of the main entrance to Camperdown House, there was a, there was a little alleyway um, that was a covered alleyway called Half Moon Passage, which is reputed to have been one of the scenes of the um, Jack the Ripper's Dirty In any way, you, you went through this little alleyway and you came out onto a, a, a street called Ailey Alley Street, and that on that street was um, a fringe theater called the Half Moon Theater. And I was sitting in the cafe one day on across the street from... I'd been to see Percy, and I was kind of kicking around and wondering what to do. And uh, I met this woman, big, big girl, Yorkshire accent. Um, I don't know why we talked. I don't know why she sat down. Anyway, it turns out this was Pam Brighton, um, who eventually ended up over here doing work like at Stratford. But anyway, she said, just a minute, wait, 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 I'm going to go and get Guy. And this is Guy Sprung, who was in the, across the street from us. There was a pub and then, the, and then the theater. It's an old synagogue. And Sprung came over and they talked to me and they offered me a job as a stage manager. So for eight weeks, uh, for eight months, I worked at the Half Moon as a state, well, it really just as a gopher. Um, and uh, it was it was awful. I mean, there were there were squatters living 
um, in one of the balconies for the women in the in a synagogue, and there's a squatter in the basement with a dog, and he'd come down in the morning, and there'd be dog shit everywhere, and it was it was horrible. But I I stuck it out for eight months, and at one point, because it was so close to the school, I would often go in and see Percy. And one day I was visiting her, and Hayden came in, and he was beside himself. Uh, he was so pissed off. Because he had a huge project on, which is once every four years in in the city of York, in um, a, a ruined abbey, which Henry VIII had destroyed during his reign. Uh, they would, um, every four years, do a, a kind of mass town city production mm -hmm. with a few professional designers, professional lighting designers of um, the York Mystery Cycles. Mm -hmm. So he asked me if I... He, he said... He, he, was, he was desperate because this German guy had quit on him. <laughs> and I said, oh, fuck, I could do that. You know, because I don't want to... I'm dead. I'm finished with the half moon. <laughs> I... I um, so I started working for Hayden, and he had, he had an old council flat, which he shouldn't have still had access to. But anyway, there was a council flat in Fulham. And uh, in one of the rooms, there was like probably an eight-foot by eight-foot, half-inch... Well, the intention was a scale model of the ruin of the abbey. Oh, right. Um, and... Um, so that was it, I mean, and I, and fortunately, I lived in Fulham, which is I, I lived up North End Road and um, Lily Road, and he lived down off of I can't remember what the name. In any case, it was nearby, so I could walk to his place and work on this thing. And eventually, we ended up in I ended up with him in York, and his wife did the costumes, and there were hundred uh, well. It seemed like an enormous number of people. I have no idea how many people there. So I spent I, I spent some of the summer in New York, which was fantastic. And Hayden, Hayden was really just beginning to hit his stride. He was ten years older than me, so I would have been around this time, twenty-two, maybe he'd been thirty-two. But he was, you know, working for Lindsay Anderson, and he was doing shows at the Royal Court, and he had done some well-known kind of events at the court in the 60s. There was a big one called Come Together, which was um, which was pretty famous. And anyway, so Hayden, Hayden had fallen in somehow with Bill Gaskell, who was one of the artistic directors at the court. And um, he needed, he started to need an assistant full-time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first show that I worked with him on apart from the um, York Mystery Cycles, we, um, I had been doing some work as an assistant at the Old Vic mm -hmm. with a man called Timian Alsacker, who mm -hmm. was an assistant. He was a guy, for, he had been on the course before me, mm -hmm. and he was uh, Norwegian, I believe, yes. And he was doing some assistant work at, it was at the Old Vic, and he was working on um, uh, an adaptation of Phaedra that was designed by uh, Tanya Mozeyevich. Mm -hmm. So I met her very briefly uh, and sort of had a foot in... 
like a little bit in the door at the National, not much, but a little bit. And then, and, and they were about to move from the Cut and Waterloo and the Old Vic, and they were just about to go into the new building on the South Bank. Um, I was never paid by the National. I was always paid by Hayden. So we were independent, you know, free of, like, poor, but free of. <laughs> and uh, his first big gig was uh, a play by Howard, Howard Brenton called uh, Weapons of Happiness. And I was the assistant on it, and, like, David Hare was the director, mm -hmm. and it was, like, pretty cool. <laughs> sounds pretty heavenly. I'm going to just stop there for yeah. a second. Let's just go back, and, and uh, I have a couple of different questions. One was about this decision to come back to... Uh, to England. First of all, did you have any connection to the theater community in Canada when no. you were going? So you just went to Queens. You'd done some high school stuff. And went. I, went, I think I went to theater. And you just fell into this. I ended up this, hanging out in the theater department. Right. I wasn't really. I, I. I never made it past my second year. Right. Um, I just figured out that there were a lot of women in the theater right. department, <laughs> and no engineers. Right. <laughs> You and Alan Stitchbury both had made those discoveries, yeah, yeah, I think, early, yeah, in the, yeah. early in the 70s. I spoke to him as well. And how about the Guy Sprung connection? So what was he doing there? Was he... Um, he had gone with... Uh, he had gone to Europe, um, and I think to Germany, with the first wife. Mm -hmm. That didn't work out. <laughs> Although I did meet her. She did eventually pop by the theater one day, but... You know, it was that whole kind of Berliner Ensemble, the sexiness of Germany, right. the kind of, that's what he had gone over to Europe for. And I don't know how he ended up back in London, actually. I don't know why he landed in London. I have, I have no idea. I didn't even know who he was when I met Pam. I didn't know who Pam was when I met Pam. Right. Um, I didn't know that she had been Bill Gaskell's assistant at the right. Royal Court. Right. Um, you see, there's all kinds of linkages. Yeah, I know. It yeah. seems one one of the things that keeps coming up when I speak to people uh, is these kind of improbable yeah. things that yeah. happen to get yeah. people. I mean, yeah. who knows how many people didn't make it because they didn't have those improbable things happen to them. But this seems to be a consistent. No, story it makes with everybody, it makes right? everything that Dickens writes seem plausible. Right. Yes, you know. Exactly. <laughs> um, so pick up again with um, with your 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 first big show with oh Hayden. great yeah, yeah weapons of happiness mm -hmm. at the and that was at the Littleton, and this was with the uh, with the national, I mean I was hanging out there before the South Bank had actually opened like mm -hmm. they were breaking in offices and figuring out you know where the wig well they knew where the wig department would be and where the where the um, wardrobe would be and it was just fantastic and there was this. And you'd get in an elevator and you'd go down to the ground floor and there'd be the metal shop and the paint frame and the prop shop. And the, I learned an awful lot there. And I remember one night um, Hayden was leaving to go and my job that night was to draw up. There's a scene in Weapons of Happiness where a T-34 Russian tank comes on stage. And I said, oh, I'll draw it up overnight, you know, no problem. I, guess I can, I like compound curves that I can, you know, and that, ah, ah. We had a little model of it, but anyway, in the morning I'd done an all-nighter and the head of props came upstairs and he said, hey, just give me the model. 
<laughs> that'll be fine. I don't need a drawing. Just give me. So anyway, so that that was the first. That was, so David and David Hare. I mean, I knew about David Hare through a fringe company called Portable Theater, and David and um, I think Snoo Wilson, playwright, and certainly Howard Brenton had this fringe theater, and they toured around, small scale touring. Um, but David was obviously uh, going to be a golden boy, and um, and they David had done a play called Fan Shen for a company called Joint Stock, who had also done a really kind of cause celeb this piece by uh, Hathcote Williams called The Speakers, which is about free speech, speakers corner, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. And Joint Stock, um, certainly Fan Shen was directed by Bill Gaskell, who by 73 had left the, had left the royal court and was kind of, he was with this guy called Max Stafford Clark. They were, um, they were running a company called Joint Stock. After Weapons of Happiness, Hayden kept me on because he then did a play called Il Campiello, which is a Goldoni, and it was on the um, Olivier stage, and uh, amongst others in the cast were Stephen Ray, mm-hmm. and it was directed by a guy called Bill Bryden. Mm-hmm. And that was, in fact, the other show that was on the main st- on the Olivier stage at that time was Tamburlaine. Mm-hmm. And it was decided that Tamburlaine was not really the Queen and Prince Philip's cup of tea. <laughs> so the official opening in the royal presence was Il Campiello. Oh, <laughs> and I, I remember being in the auditorium, um, because we were in tech, or we'd finished tech. It was a, dr- a dresser, it's something, anyway. And at that time, there was a man who, I don't know what his official title was, but he was kind of producer. He was above the TDs. And his name was Simon Ralph, who eventually was a film producer, uh, amongst other things. Anyway, I remember being in the the stalls in, in the Olivier, and this guy walks out on stage and walks right to this specific spot on the stage. Actually, these are two separate incidents. I, this, and I'm thinking, in fact, that guy's kind of familiar. And it was Lord Olivier. Right. It was Larry, <laughs> Sir Larry. I don't. He wasn't Lord. I think he was Sir Larry. And he said, "This is the sweet spot right here. This is where I'll address." Because I think I think he spoke the night that it opened. I don't know. Anyway, so that was pretty cool. But there was a, there was another point in the lead up to the royals' arrival. And I was in the stalls, and Simon Ralph shouted down to me, they're bringing in the dog's heart while get rid of the dope. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so that that was pretty cool, Uh, Il Campiello. And then, so what happens to happen? Il Campiello. Oh, and then he kept me on again. Bill Gaskell was directing uh, an Olivier stage production of um, Madras House. 
and I was Hayden's assistant from Madras House. It, the, the the costumes were designed by Deidre Clancy, who's just, uh, you know, pretty amazing costume design. But yeah, so and at the same time, Bill and Hayden were supposed to be working on. Not supposed to be. They were working on a play called A Mad World, My Masters, for joint stock. This company that Bill was involved with, with Max Stafford Clark. And it was a, um, a a Barry Keefe play called Mad World, My Masters. And Barry Keefe at the time had just had uh, um, Friday the 13th released as a film. So, you know, it, and... And this was, um, Mad World My Masters was um, performed at the Young Vic in London. And the ambition was that, was to take, at the time there were a lot of small, like portable theater and joint stock and uh, um, the Traverse in Edinburgh, they were all small theaters. And, and it, Bill and Max wanted to kind of expand the scale of, of joint stock's work. Um, Mad World My Masters was a huge success and it was actually in a larger than usual venue for at that time joint stock um, Simon Callow was in that production Jillian um, Barge uh, um, anyway it's a really great group of actors in that company uh, and the and the after Mad World, the idea tentatively was that um, Max and Bill would co-direct a, um, a play that was commissioned from Howard Brenton um, called Epsom Downs. I can't remember exactly how this transpired. Um, whether Bill pulled out of Epsom Downs because of Madras House, I think that might have been it. Um, I can't remember exactly, but anyway, Bill withdrew from um, from working any further on Epsom Downs, and they had secured a date in London for the Roundhouse. Mm -hmm. So again, it was a a, a much bigger venue than joint stock had ever performed in and I had worked for a while on both you know Madras House and Mad World and then we had this other thing coming down the pike this Epsom Downs that wasn't written yet but we knew what the subject matter was but it was supposed to be Bill and Max Hayden hated Max <laughs> And when Bill withdrew, Hayden withdrew. Right. And they were left with, like, me with absolutely no experience right. whatsoever. Right. <laughs> or not, you know. Um, and it was, a, it was a collective, sort of. And they had a, a, a meeting where there was all of the actors, the... Max, Bill excused and withdrew from the, the meeting. Hayden wasn't there. Um, anyway, there was a meeting about who they should replace Hayden with. And I wasn't there. This meeting happened at the, um, at the Riverside Studios, which, was, which had just opened in 76. 
uh, and run by Peter Gill, who actually had been a director at the Royal Court and was there with Bill Gaskell in the in. Um, There was a canteen, there was a cafeteria the, at, at Riverside Studios at the time, which was very good, actually. And I was living just across Hammersmith Bridge in Barnes at the, by this time. So I could walk to across the bridge, and there I was at, at Riverside Studios, and that's where they were rehearsing, or were attempting to cobble together, because Joint Stock did workshops, and then in a way that is not completely different than he, Paul Thompson's the closest thing to what how joint stock worked in right. terms of workshopping researching bringing material back to the rehearsal like going out in the morning figuring out discovering something bringing it back just exhibiting it to other people in the collective and then the writer was always there you know taking down anyway um, I knew that they were going to choose I knew that this meeting, like on the agenda, was who's going to be the new designer because I wanted to know, like, whether this person would, take you know, on, yeah. take me on, and and whether I was going to continue because we we'd gotten quite a long ways along with I built the model and everything, and I knew what the design was going to be. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Apparently, Howard Brenton made a very impassioned speech on my behalf. <laughs> And you know, decried the dinosaurs of Ralph Coltoy and the like, and why aren't we using? Anyway, it ended up that I was given the job of, or I was given the title designer of. A lot of it Hayden had already done, right. but I just was seeing it through. And um, and Max was the, Max Stafford Clark was the was the sole director now because Bill had left the project, and Max had a play coming up at the Royal Court. He wasn't running the Royal Court, but he had a show coming up at the Royal Court that had been written by Snoo Wilson, one of the guys from Portable Theatre, right, right, right. um, called, uh, um, what was it called? The Glad Hand. Mm -hmm. And he asked me if I wanted to design it. Mm -hmm. So, like, I made it to the Royal Court. <laughs> and how many years was that outside of, that was probably in a couple of years, right? Outside um, of... I finished on the course in 74, and uh, I was, um, it was either 76 or 78. That's that, pretty incredible. <laughs> that, yeah, the, the glad hand happened. And, I mean, it had Tony Cher in it, mm -hmm. um, Julie David, uh, uh, Jewel, the woman from, oh, Julie, Julie, Walter, Julie Walters. Um, I mean, it was, it was like... <laughs> How did uh, how did Hayden feel about you taking over the design? Like, how oh, he was ownership? he was fine. He was he, fine was, with that. he was great. Yeah, yeah. He was great. In fact, it was a relief. Sure, because yeah, yeah. he, I mean, Madras House was huge, and it was four different, and they were completely different sets, and they were delivered onto the Olivier stage in completely different ways. Mm -hmm. And I, he had his plate was pretty full, yeah. actually. That's a hell of a way to learn how to design, too, kind of getting thrown in those oh, yeah. mix was... of three giant shows and then yeah, a big stage. And how oh, um, and small stages. Like, I was working in, the, like, not that it's that small, but the, the Young Vic. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so I was in the fringe and I was on the main stages at the, at the, 
at the National Theater of Great Britain. I, you know, it was kind of cool. Fantastic. And how did, uh, did you, was there anything said about this kind of Canadian boy coming over and? No. None of that was an no, issue. Right? None of that. No. Yeah. I mean, Hayden was a South African. Right. Um, and in fact, he really ended up in Britain as a, they gave him political asylum, mm-hmm. essentially. That's a little more dramatic than it was. But they didn't have problems with that stuff in the same way we... Mm-hmm. Like right now, I know, I, especially when I was out west just now, I, this, this, having met him a few times, I'm slightly inclined to agree with him, but there's a, this sense of colonialism mm-hmm. um, with this new guy uh, was quite strong out west i must say which is, is weird because he's hired all kinds of people from van well not all kinds of but a number of people from vancouver this is the current artistic director yeah, at yeah. shaw tim carroll tim carroll thank you yeah. right yeah well there's yeah there's a lot of, like but there's only so there's many no, arts. there's not that attitude in britain though. yeah it's because i guess they were the head of the empire and you know everybody from all over the world had been arriving in it, london for centuries that's right it's so, commonwealth yeah. right yeah exactly um how did, how did you feel the um your training at uh, at Sadler's Walls, did you think, did you feel it had prepared you enough? Like it was a, only a year, but you were getting a lot of It What was great was just the connections. There are two things. One is like getting accepted to such a place, mm-hmm. no matter what they taught you or didn't teach you, you kind of, it gives you a sense of confidence. Yeah. Um, and I met, you know, there were, there were some pretty amazing directors. Like the, the, the school worked with, there were, the ambition was to have six uh, projects uh, over the course of the... It was three terms, and there were two shows in each term that you were to work on. And ideally, Percy tried to make sure that one of those... They had a connection with the... Um, oh, gosh, it was a, a, a theater school in Kentish Town... Um, I can't remember it. Anyway, she tried to make sure that you all got a real show right. of some sort. And usually it was at the um, actor's studio. No, not the actor's studio. Fuck, what was it called? Anyway, I got to design a show at the Young Vic, <laughs> uh, Arnold Wesker's Roots. Um, and I had... Chris Timothy was in it, the guy from All Creatures Great and oh, Small, right. and he hadn't, at that time, hadn't become a star. And and um, um, Peter Ustinov's daughter was also, she played Rusty, or whatever the girl's name is in Roots. Um, you know, it got reviewed in the Sunday Times. And That's great. <laughs> yeah. Those are the kind of opportunities you want when you're training, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So you you get, now you're designing like did that uh, sort of take off um, or were you continuing to once assist? I, once, or? I, once I did the glad hand with Max, then it started. Yeah, yeah. and and the sorry, Epsom Downs, the glad hand. Then I can't remember. It was a blur after that. I know that I know Max and I we did a lunchtime show at the Soho Poly. Um, how did this work? Bill left the royal court, I think it was like 73, and then eventually a man called Stuart Burge was brought in after the um, 
after the Nikki Wright. And, oh, God, I wish I could remember the other guy's name. In any case, so Stuart was going to be the artistic director of the Royal Court, and he produced and kind of changed the direction of the court a little bit. And it, during George Devine's time, they'd do classics as well as new work. Mm-hmm. And then there was a period um, with Bill where they were actually really just doing, concentrating on new work. Uh, if he, well, he's dead, so he won't hear this, so it won't matter. But <laughs> um, Stuart kind of took the, the, the court back to doing a mixture of new and classics. But Stuart took a sabbatical to go to ITV. As he had taken the sabbatical, and they were about to start a technician strike. So that didn't happen, but he kept, they kept, they weren't sure when it was going to be resolved, so Stuart didn't come back to the court. He had handed the royal court over to Max to kind of, you know, take guardianship of it until Stuart returned from, mm-hmm. Stuart never ever returned. Um, and uh, it was during this time that I I designed the original production of Cloud Nine, mm-hmm. and that was with, that was actually a joint stock show, and then the following year, because it had become so successful, it was brought into the Royal Court as a Royal Court show under Max because he was riding two horses. Right, it's, right. So it was Cloud Nine, Top Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, well, eventually, Serious Money, and eventually, Our Country's Good, mm-hmm. and all of this stuff was at the Royal Court. But there was one show in there that nobody knows about that was with Joint Stock, and it was Bill Gaskell directed it. Um, and it was um, a fantastic production of The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists, mm-hmm. which is a, an Edwardian novel about painters and decorators mm-hmm. it was just a f- it, it's probably the best show I've ever done in my oh, life boy. yeah and it had Harriet Walter in it so it wasn't a shabby company um, what kind of resources did you have there I mean was it kind of like what was the give us an idea of the size of the company was like well, how the budget nine were big actors and, so, nine actors and, and no the budgets weren't big no way and no. what was their funding mostly just uh, endowment like the national was it not federally funded in the, the UK? Arts Council? Arts yeah. Council, yeah. yeah. Um, that was where their funding came from. Yeah. I mean, the year I worked at the 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 few months that I worked at the um, at the Half Moon, mm-hmm. I remember it was a very complicated political time in terms of who was in. The, I know that for a very short space of time, I was living there, and Harold Wilson was still the prime minister, right. or had come back as the prime minister. I don't know. And then there was a very short space of time where Ted Heath was the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And then um, James Callahan became the prime minister. And he probably was elected. It was while I was still working at the Half Moon. Mm-hmm. And at that time at the Half Moon, I believe I was earning six pounds a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when Labour got in, mm-hmm. The Arts Council was just throwing money around. Yeah, sure. It was great. <laughs> and my weekly f- uh, paycheck went from six pounds to 18 pounds oh a week. And I was still getting the 10 pounds from the from pub. The pub yeah. um, it, it was it was like unbelievable. I've never had that much money in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the point of this? Uh, 
yeah, the, it ebbed and flowed like crazy, yeah. the, the funding. And then 79, Maggie was elected. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> and I was on this British Council tour that was supposed to be a group of actors and the designers. Yeah, it all got cut, and they only sent the uh, director and the designer. Right. And we were to go and work with a Turkish company. Right. Now, you uh, had said you also worked all over, you had gone to work all over Europe, I guess, or this is coming into the 80s, right? You yeah. started to work internationally. Yeah. Um, any particular now? Tell me about the Turkey story. Maybe we just touched on it a little bit. Um, did you actually end up getting to Turkey? Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we got yeah. No, we got to Ankara. Yeah, and then there was um, um, there had been. We were invited to go to this invitation to the British Council was extended during a time of a left wing government mm-hmm. in Turkey. In the intervening time from the acceptance of the invitation to our arrival, there had been a coup, right. and and <laughs> and the right wing had taken over. So there's a new artistic director. Mm-hmm. Like they change police chiefs, they change acting companies, right. like people who 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 were on the left when we were invited. We're now doing voiceovers for you know, TV programs from Britain. or yeah. And then they would be replaced on the stage by people who were okay from the right, right. rights perspective. It was a pretty strange yeah. time. And, and you, couldn't, the, you couldn't audition from both camps. Mm-hmm. You had to just... So eventually there was a stalemate... Um, I'm making a much more, it's a much more complicated story than this, but we ended up, the, the, it was getting kind of tense. <laughs> I can imagine. And, um, and so they, they suggested that we go up to, to Istanbul for a few days until whoever was in charge got this situation in Ankara at the National Theater sorted out, and then, and then we could come back down. Um, and as it happened, they never ever did get it sorted out, and so we never ever did do the show. And I, I got five days in Istanbul. It was fantastic. <laughs> but the best thing about, um, yeah, the the Americans, the Russians went into. Oh, the hostages were being held in Iran. Right, right. The Amer the so the Americans are uh, upset. Um, the Russians had gone into Afghanistan. There was the second oil crisis of the 70s, the first one being in 73. It was a time of enormous turmoil. Um, and I, of course, had a Canadian passport. I mean, I was there with the British Council, and but I, they had no jurisdiction. They had no, like, I was a free agent. So there was an, a, a, a cocktail party held one night at, I believe... Not at the ambassador's place, but at, uh, I think, the head of the British Council or something. Anyway, a, a British official. And he said, there will, we, um, I'll invite somebody from the Canadian embassy mm-hmm. so that you can meet and be introduced to one another. Right. Um, anyway, I got to this cocktail party, and it was very evident which guy was the Canadian <laughs> representative that I was to cross the room. And she had on a checked suit and... Right. Um, big glasses of alcohol of some <laughs> description. Um, and his name was uh, Roman Lachinsky, mm-hmm. which is a deeply Canadian name. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Romanian or something. Or, or, uh, I believe or he Hungarian. was Hungarian. Yeah. He, in, interestingly, Roman was the first. Uh, he was fantastic. Uh, he was just great. 
And he uh, was the first, if not the first, he may have been prone to exaggeration, but he was amongst a, a very early group of guys, if not the first guy, who in the first generation after his parents arrived, mm -hmm. and then he was in our secret service, basically. Um, I, uh, anyway, I said, Roman, you know, I'm Peter Hartwell. He said, I don't do that. I, what did you do before? He said, well, I was, uh, I was, um, oh, security, that's not the right word, cultural attache. Right. I was a yes. cultural attache in Moscow. Right. And I said, oh, wow, that, what does that, I, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. He said, well, I have read Oliver Twist, and I can write my name, but I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> he said I was in charge of security at the embassy, and he was telling me the price of lettuce to come in from Finland and all this weird shit. Right, he was right. telling me, and uh, and I said, and he said, listen, I, I I I'll guarantee you that if the flag goes up, that's exactly what he said. Mm -hmm. If the flag goes up. You'll be on a Hercules with my wife and two kids. I guarantee you that. And the Brits will fly in from Cyprus. They'll land. We'll put you on the plane. No problem. Which was kind of cool. It was fairly reassuring. Yes, exactly. And I said, and what are you going to do? Yeah. And he said, oh, Christ, I had this, I had this T-bird that I took to Moscow with me. And I had this sucker of a battery put in her. You could start a f an F-15 with it. And he said it was great. I'd come down in the morning, all their cheap, crappy cars couldn't start, and I'd just turn it over, and away we go. And, da -da -da -da. and he said I had an extra gas tank put in her, and I can drive without filling up from Ankara to Athens. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a bit surreal, I must say. Oh, it was really weird. And yeah. what's really weird is that in the very early days when I was at the Shaw Festival, so this had to have been 93 or 94, somewhere around there, I was invited to a cocktail party. And at that cocktail party, I was introduced to a former Turkish ambassador. Um, and I was telling him this tale about Roman Lachinsky. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, well, poor Roman. He did, he's, he's dead. Um, but he was a great member of our embassy staff or whatever. Roman had five languages, like, sure. um, and he was married to a very attractive, very nice Belgian mm -hmm. woman. Anyway, I will go to my grave remembering Roman Lachinsky. <laughs> I can imagine. Any other big uh, European tours or shows that you worked on, like stuff that traveled through the, the continent? or No. Uh, no, I, I did a couple of shows in a city in Germany called mm -hmm. Heilbronn, mm -hmm. which is in the Necker Valley, sort of between Stuttgart and Heidelberg. Here's another weird thing. It was a, it was a you know, Germany's dotted with these Stad theaters, right? Yeah. Um, and it, and they liked doing shows that were translated into German from so new new plays that they'd present and I I did two shows there one of them actually was um, a Howard Barker play called um, I 
don't know what it's called in English. Um, I think it's called Scenes from an Execution in English. Mm-hmm. I had heard it um, on the radio, BBC, Sunday afternoon with Glenda Jackson playing the lead. Alas, those days are gone. Um, anyway, so I did that play. For some reason, you could... I think Glenda owned the rights, the English-speaking rights, oh. so no one... It, it's, but the, the, the German rights you, you were fine. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, a guy called Phil Young and I went and did that show, and then Phil had written a play that was at the Hampstead Theatre Club, and they asked him to go over to do that one. Um, the interesting thing about, apart from the theatre, is I've met, since being living in Niagara-on-the-Lake, I met a guy called Albrecht Seeger. Mm-hmm. And Albrecht one year was the king of grapes or some kind of official sure. title sure, sure. in the Niagara region. And um, he introduced me to his mother and father. Mm-hmm. Guess where they were from? Halstead, uh, Germany? Heilbronn. Heilbronn. <laughs> they were, yeah, yeah, That's from the crazy. same, yeah, no kidding. Anyway, um, Anyway, subsequently, like apart from the famous shows with Max, there were like we we. I, this may have changed because I haven't been keeping track of the stats, but Max and I at one point had worked on uh, the least well attended play ever at the Royal Court, six <laughs> percent. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Prior to that, it had been a play called Tibetan Inroads, which had done thirteen <laughs> percent. No, he shattered that record. Right. And interesting. It was the play was written by a guy called um, he was an Egyptian. Anyway, I'd never ever heard of him until the Arab Spring, oh. and he's writing a byline from Vancouver. Right. Um, That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so anyway, I ended up probably. I did a show um, with Max in New York City a couple of years ago in this crappy little theater called, um, um, I can't remember what it's called. It, the theater and the producer are on the uh, local 829, my union in the States, mm-hmm. to, to have nothing to do with. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But what was, the, what was the point of this, Max? Oh, Max... Wanted to know, like, how many shows we saw. I made this list of shows that he and I had done together, and it's somewhere between 24 and 30, depending on whether you count this season of short plays that he did at lunchtime as a separate play, a series of six separate plays, or as one big chunk. Yeah, so um, we're pretty much at the end. I mean, the only other big, all of those shows with Max, there was a really great production of King Lear with... Mm -hmm. Tom Wilkinson at the Royal Court. Uh-huh. And then Our Country's Good, which went everywhere <laughs> and came to Toronto. Hi there, I'm interrupting briefly to ask you once again to support the title blog on patreon.com. Click on support the show in the show notes. This will bring you to my Patreon page where you can donate a small amount. Uh, every episode. And I'm just asking that you help cover those costs, uh, these uh, small costs, and help me to continue to capture the story of Canadian theatre design. Go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate a couple of bucks an episode. It really helps. Okay, so um, 
let's just let's land uh, let's land back in Canada. Right. How did you? You seemed like you were having a yeah. fan, fantastically successful career in England. Why would you ever come back? To well, the there colonies, are two. There, right? there are two things. One was that um, that whole issue about Max not having a contract. His the the board eventually caught up with him, and actually there was one guy on the board who was actively trying to get rid of Max. So Max's days were numbered at the Royal Court. Um, our country's good was had this world tour sorted out. And the idea was that we did we would perform it in Sydney and then uh, and then perform it in LA and then perform it in Toronto and then go back to the West End with it. Well he couldn't get it was gonna be like, I don't know how many months away from London and the actors didn't want to do that much time. Everybody wanted to go to L.A. Uh, no, everybody wanted to go to Sydney because sure. we performed it on the 200th anniversary of, right. of the recruiting officer actually having been performed by the convicts on... Um, anyway, so the, the middle part of the tour to L.A. was dropped from the British company and, and it was cast with Americans. And Max and I went and did it at the Mark Taper Forum in L.A. with an American cast. In that American cast, there was a woman who I ended up with, which ended a eight-year relationship with somebody back in England. So, and and by this time, Bill Glasgow had kind of and. and Guy Sprung, who brought the show to Toronto, the, the to the can stage with the English company uh, it just opened up all kinds of doors for me because it was you know and Glasgow knew my work from the Royal Court and he'd actually visited me at my flat in London a few times and so so then and I was at can stage one day in Berkeley Street at the offices and um, uh, there was a guy auditioning for Small parts in um, the show off, I think it was. Anyway, it turns out that it was. So I went into audition because I was with this American girl and I wanted to come back to North America and da 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 da. da. And it was Miles Potter right. who was auditioning. And partway through, he said, You're not serious, are you? I said, No. <laughs> he said, You're terrible. Um, but what is it? I said, Well, I'm a designer. He said, Oh, I'll, I'll get in touch with you. So anyway, I'm back in England. And uh, I got this um, phone call, and it was Miles wondering if I'd be interested in designing the Scottish play in Winnipeg. So went and did that, and uh, um, stuff at Can Stage kept coming up because I had known Guy Sprung from the Half Moon, <laughs> and um, and and Bill and. Uh, so Bill was directing uh, David French. If you're looking for significant events, uh, David French play called 1949, which he asked me to do, um, and I did. And that was the one and only time I worked with, uh, oh, who's the lighting designer? He used to be head of design here before Kevin, oh, before Jeffrey Rob. Dallas. Jeffrey Dallas. Yeah. A tricky little piece of work. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> And then I did uh, Of the Fields Lately with Randy Hewson in it, and Bill directed that. Oh, and then one year, 
I did the murder mystery here. I think it was in 1992. Um, the 10-minute alibi. <laughs> um, and I wasn't liked by the prop shop. I don't quite know why. Anyway, um, but there was a guy here who's the head carpenter called Murray Morrison who really, really did rate me and went to bat for me. And so the next year I was asked to do The Old Women. Mm-hmm. And then that got pulled. Oh, okay. I'm not quite sure why. I don't know. And so within a couple of days of that having been pulled, I got a phone call from Max back in England saying, would I be interested in designing the country wife at the Swan mm-hmm. for the RSC? Mm-hmm. So I went to the RSC for a summer. <laughs> and, you know, we, uh, um, we were reunited yet again with uh, um, Ian Dury, um, who did the tunes, and he had done the tune for the end of the first act of Serious Money, and he had done the final tune for Serious So it was, that was a fun summer. Mm, I can imagine. And then I was asked back, and eventually, it was like, and then eventually, I was asked back to the, because Doug Lemke was the production manager, and he too liked me because, unlike certain individuals, I kind of maintained a rigor about the budget, mm-hmm. um, and I went. To, I was asked to do two shows in the courthouse, um, so I did that, and it was rather successfully done, and. Um, then I was asked to do my first main stage show, which I think was in 96, mm-hmm. and it was um, Devil's Disciple. Oh, right, yeah. And Glynis Leishon directed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, what re- the, the, really, the, the two big directorial breakthroughs, in England it was Max and Gla- Bill Gaskill. Mm-hmm. Over here it was Miles Potter and... Um, in 96, I designed Waste mm-hmm. with Neil Monroe. And, I mean, this we actually, our collaboration together wasn't that many shows. I think it was like five or six shows. Yeah. But they were pretty, you know, they were well recognized. Yeah. And, and I loved working with Neil. And Waste was at the courthouse, is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that was in 96. Yep. I came in 97, so I was here the year after that. It was my first year as an assistant here. Um, how would you describe your working relationship with Neil? He seemed like a like he was revered by people oh, yeah. as a director, like Quite a rightly. brilliant mind. And, Quite and, rightly. And kind. Yeah. Like despite the gruff kind of, oh, sure. don't give a fuck, kind of, blah, blah, blah. he was, he was, uh, he was very kind and very skilled at getting performances out of people who... You know, you thought, why on earth did he cast? And I'm not going to name names, but there are some people who were, whose career was huge, or at least momentarily hugely improved by being close to Neil. And he was irreverent, and he was fun, and he was knowledgeable, and and there wasn't anybody in the acting company who wasn't aware of the fact that he could do it better than them. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like if he was asking for something or prodding away or bothering at something, they didn't get kind of angry and dismissive. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, 
he was trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, um, how did you find transferring your skills from the UK to here? I mean, I guess coming to the biggest Kent stage or coming to Shaw, it's, it seems pretty. The biggest difference was going from metric to imperial. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's odd, isn't it? <laughs> Why we uh, anyway? Like I just was watching a guy, a carpenter, and at the belfry, trying to divide seventeen feet five and five sixteenths in half. You know, <laughs> if it was just two hundred and eighty-three centimeters, that's easy. Yeah. Anyway, we don't. Do, that was one of the biggest differences. And the year that I went to England was the year they changed over mm-hmm. too that they decimalized right. um, I guess I guess the other big difference was over there we, we kind of sit somewhere between America and Britain mm-hmm. in terms in 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 so many respects mm-hmm. in Britain the, the and and ideally you should have you should have more than one um, talent when you're coming to sign a contract. Right. Um, Britain, it was costume, set in costumes. Mm-hmm. And America, it's set in lights. Right. And we sit somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I've certainly had shows saved by lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've certainly had shows that I was disappointed with costuming. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> we won't go into all that either. No, 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 that's <laughs> probably, not, probably not important. Um, so let's talk about your approach while we're on it. It like, sure. I, you know, it, it varies wildly. Sure. Uh, it's the lighting design. You must, yeah, like yeah. how I approached a piece of work with Neil is completely different than <sighs> probably everybody I imagine. Um, Yeah. Every director does have their own kind of... Although Max, sometimes... It varied wildly with Max. Like, Rat in the Skull, I went home and it was designed in two hours. Serious Money took... Evolved over a number of weeks. But that was partly... Because, again, it was it was a workshop show where people went out and came back and you'd go to the city and you'd, and you'd bring back images or listen to people's stories about what they'd seen that day in the city. Um, so, and Bill Gaskell was almost impossible. I mean, he gave very little and seemed to be terribly unappreciative of anything that you brought to the table. And, and I always felt like it was kind of, you were poking holes. The, the one thing that they all have in common, except for unless it was a workshop show, is that you read the script. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, the woman, Percy Harris, said to me, the, the, um, in her opinion, and this, isn't, this is the school of thought that I was brought up in, and it, and it applied to Jocelyn Herbert, and it applies to um, Hayden Griffin, and, is that in the firmament of theater production, it's the play first, the director second, um, actors third, and we're somewhere. Down the line. Yeah. 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 I understand that. Also, um, <clears throat> in the mid 50s, uh, 
just in terms of my aesthetic or what I what I hope is my aesthetic, um, the Berliner Ensemble came to to London and it, it had a huge impact on people like Bill Gaskell, people who were working at the Royal Court, and it suddenly and, and certainly Jocelyn and um, and the whole idea of um, I mean, they, they, some of the productions are decorative, but it's it, like they don't look like they are. It it looks spare and it looks simple and it looks like it must have been afforded by an East Eastern European East German company that didn't have the money to to spend on big production values. Anyway, that's the kind of background that I was taught when I went to London, or that was. Not taught, but it kind of rubs off on you. Um, anyway, that's... But in terms of how I approach the work, it's the same. I mean, you just, you know, eventually you do have to draw up that fucking staircase. <laughs> you know? I got the feeling, one of the things that... Um, in my second year... Because I had, I've never worked in England. And I, and I got the feeling that um, when we had... Um, Oh, Helena was her first name. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, Arms and the Man. Yeah. Uh, um, no, not Arms and no, the no, Man. No, 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 the, um, the, the munitions. Munitions thing, yeah. Bill designed it. Uh, <laughs> it was big. It was <laughs> bloody big, that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but she, it seemed like uh, the approach that they took was to sort of Make all the decisions. Leave everything as late as you can to make decisions. That's just a bad relationship. Yeah, okay. that's all. I, that's what I, I mean. That that I don't know who was thinking that was going to work out. They sent him to Manchester, I believe, and yeah. it, the pressure, like it was, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good match. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that's great. Now the. What have you... You just got back from the Belfry. Yeah. Uh, what did you design there? Oh, this was cool. Um, at, like, at a certain point in your career, you just think, oh, no, I'm doing another play that everybody else has done. Right, um, There's a young lady called Anita Rochon, R-O-C-H-O-N, who I believe was at NTS. I believe was a Simonovich Award winner. Um is young, which is, you know, like as you, you know, 64. I, I'm not seeing many young people in my career now. Um, and it was, it was putting on, it was staging, Alice Monroe short story, sorry. It wasn't, it wasn't adapting them as short plays, but it was actually performing them verbatim as the short story and finding a way of with a it was five actors we had of presenting presentationally these these two short plays mm -hmm. and of course the trick was making one look different than mm -hmm. the other on you know a limited budget they've got a great team out there though yeah. there's very good production values um so one of them was like a naturalistic hospital room and the other one was this kind of southern ontario gothic it was it was She's really good, actually, Anita Rochon. She um, um, she's got a company in Vancouver. Um, I 
can't remember what it's called, but anyway, that's what I was doing. And, and it was nice because it's like a new, pro like there's a company in uh, San Francisco, and I don't remember their name, who actually had proposed to Michael that their shtick for t 20 years or something has been doing short stories as stage plays right. or as stage presentations. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we've got a couple of Alice Munro's in our back pocket. We could bring them up to the Belfry. And Michael thought, oh. <laughs> And he asked diplomatically, you know, like, why would I bring somebody from the United States to do an Alice Munro short story in Victoria? <laughs> um, so they negotiated some kind of an arrangement. And... and, uh, and I don't know where he had known uh, um, Anita from, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And and what was interesting was that this happened, I went to Shauna McKenna's 60th birthday party last mm -hmm. summer, and I went up for that, and I hope she doesn't, well, everybody knew it was her 60th birthday. It's <laughs> <so. laughs> uh, um, on Wikipedia at this point. Uh, and Mike and I had just found out a few days earlier that there was no need for my talents at this place, at the Shaw. So I was whining and moaning, and I got a phone call from Michael as I was driving home from Stratford saying, hey, do you want to come and do this project? And so I was really fortunate. I mean, it saved my bacon this year. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, okay, sorry, I'll just back up again to the question. So one of the things I talked about a lot, or I talked about a couple times, just because of um, the theme of design's relationship to the audience, is uh, your design of Heartbreak House, uh, directed by Tadeusz yes. Radecki, in 1999, I believe it was. You could be right. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and lit God, by that seems such a long time. ago. I know. Yeah. It's not. It's eighteen years ago. Yeah. Like it's a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I remember a striking conversation I had with um, uh, with Kevin was uh, it was a complete departure. I think I'd seen a heartbreak house that, that that had been done here four or five years ago, and it was more traditional. Yeah. There was a ship on stage. Yep. You knew the captain was present, yep. ever present. And in this um, production, it, this was a departure from that tradition. It was a completely different take on the start of the century and yep. the brink of World War One, and everything else. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of nervousness, uh, I think, not in the creative team, but certainly in the company with, well, this is... What are our subscribers going to think? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, th and today, it's just kind of approach was, uh, well, we're going to do what we do, and they can respond to it. But I, you know, we can't, we can't cater to or obsess with over the how the audience is going to respond to our art. We have to create our art. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. let them, yeah. you know, very, very Polish attitude. It's very, very <laughs> Eastern European. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, do Do you remember anything in that discussion? Uh, like there must have been an exciting show to work on. There was a very large platform that was moving up and down stage, and there was yeah. very uh, not Edwardian, but um, uh, uh, oh, maybe it was Edwardian. I mean, it was 1910, 1908 yeah, was yeah, the period, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember that production? Do you remember having a discussion? Do you remember how your approach, like like how you negotiated that, or was it something that you found freeing that you didn't have to sort of you know. Let's build the ship well, again. From yeah, the no, I, um, 
I mean, I don't remember how we arrived at the mm -hmm. solutions we arrived at, but I do remember that, um, Peter, there's a boat. No, we don't. Um, uh, I don't know why he thought that we should, I guess, I guess in the stage directions, there's something about all these kind of nautical weird mm -hmm. things. Um, I, I, I actually don't remember. I remember having a meeting one day with him and Christina and I was thinking, oh, this is great because she's going to do the clothes and like, this is good news. Um, um, and I remember some garage door things being talked about with him, but, uh, which eventually, instead of being like concertina or, or uh, yeah, like they eventually just became flat, right. you know, like <laughs> affordable. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, oh, I, and what I do remember is he was, he was, um, I guess he had worked with Leslie Frankish a few mm -hmm. times prior to our, come here, bud. Um, and then he was assigned me, right. who he didn't know. Right. And he, was a, he confided in me one day saying, Peter, I, so, I thought you might be one of them. <laughs> in my country, you would be one of them if you were you doing this job. <laughs> So, I'm so bias runs deep and yeah, wide, anyhow. Absolutely. Um, okay, well, let's just let's spend the next just the last ten minutes. Uh, yeah, maybe 10, 10, 12 minutes talking about um, what has changed. So, you came into the business now, mind you, you started in the UK. Computers, like computers. <laughs> yes, yes, that's an obvious thing. But I mean, has that has that affected your? You still draft manually. I do. Yeah, I I more and more wish I didn't, but mm -hmm. yeah, I do. Um, I remember in the mid '80s. Funnily enough, her name's uh, Jenny Terramani, mm -hmm. who had designed or has or still does or recently designed for Tim Carroll. Oh right. And she, I remember seeing this um, these computers. She started using computers, and it was at Stratford East. And, she, and the amazing thing was she had something on stage and you could go to any seat in the auditorium and see what the sight line was like. That was like, wow. But not wow enough for me to kind of figure out how to do it yeah. myself. Um, uh, and I said something about staircases earlier. Like, I, it, it, I kind of wish that I had computer skills in that direction because it's just so boring. I've done this so many years and I just can't. Funnily enough, I remember being at the Grand in London one night. I think I was doing, I think it was getting ready for um, Devil's Disciple and Kevin was working on some, like we were doing an all-nighter in the drawing office at the Grand Theatre. And the drawing that Kevin was working on that night was the last was the last drawing that he did by hand. Right. And that drawing has been framed and is on the wall of Miles Potter and Shauna McKenna's home. <laughs> and it was for, uh, I guess, Glass Menagerie. Right. It was either, that makes sense. It was either Glass Menagerie or um, uh, Big Daddy. Um, Hot Cat. Hot, Hot Cat, yep. yep. That makes sense because he was... Uh, 
it was in the late nineties that he sort of started taking assistance with him to get to sort of deal with the volume of work to be able to yeah. work across the country kind of in that kind of routine. Um, uh, Michael Egan, uh, we've talked about Michael Egan oh. on the show as well and about his kind of, uh, virtuosic yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of approach to drawing. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it seems like that's not a, that's not a skill that people, I mean, people can make, you know, John, John Dinning things, still but, can. Yeah. Yeah. John Dinning can, um, it's funny you should, it was a, just a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with Ivan Habel, mm-hmm. who's general manager out at the or executive director or whatever the title is, yeah. at the Belfry, and he was talking about how good his technical, how good his drawings were, mm-hmm. because he was taught by Michael Egan. Yeah. And then we went down memory lane about Michael, who's a terrific guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna hopefully interview him in the next month. I've got uh, contact with him. I wanna get him on the show too because he's he's touched so many different yeah, people yeah, yeah um and there's talk just talk about his trump loy stuff too would be incredible um so uh, what what else like uh i guess you came even in the last 25 years theater in canada has changed a hell of a lot uh the funding has changed we've gone through yeah. a couple of recessions yeah. we've gone through harper we've gone through yeah. you know austerity in our own way um listen i'm I live with somebody who works in the development department. Right. The enormous shift of, like, and it was a growth area, Mm -hmm. the development department, because suddenly it went from whatever the percentage of funding was to this minuscule. I mean, replacement for that lack of funding had to be found. So I'm very aware of all that. What are your... I don't know. What are your thoughts about the future? Like, it seems like it's very uncertain right now for lots of people, especially people who are just starting in the business. I mean, everyone's got uncertainty, yeah, yeah. but you know, like, do you think someone could sustain a career when they're 22, 25 coming out of theater school? Do you think they could be able to sustain a career in theater in Canada? Like, is it, is it unpredictable at this point or? Um, <clears throat> I really don't know. I, I listen, if, I was 22, and I'm in London, and I'm making, you know, like, they figure it away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, it's not easy, but um, I don't think it ever has been, really. Um, and it's somebody will come along who's stupid enough to have the passion to make it work, and... Um, I, well, I mean, it was expensive. It was diff- tricky living in London, and just as much as it would be trying to live in Manhattan or, or London. Yeah. So. Excellent. Uh, is there anything else? Now, the uh, the last kind of thing that we've talked about as well, the sort of theme, uh, is talking about fostering uh, new, um, maintaining a certain level of expertise in the community. Um, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts about that. We've talked about... Uh, well, you've just used a, an operative word, foster. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean... I'm I'm Foster Festival this year. Oh, are you? I'm doing That's all three fantastic. of their shows this year. That's yeah. great. Oh. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, I did uh, the Melville Boys with um, the artistic director. Oh, I've just forgotten <laughs> Forgot her name. Chris, uh, no, 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 Trish, 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 Trish Vanstone. Trish Good yeah. Lord, she'll kill me. Um, yeah, I did uh, the Melville Boys with Trish Vanstone down in Blythe. Um, right. And she's a huge, obviously, she's a huge yeah. fan of Norm Foster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing that. The uh, the idea that we're losing people who can do jewelry or do I don't know intricate art like armor or build furniture from scratch or yep. you know like yep. that's a real that's a real problem. And it seems like Shaw Festival, Stratford, maybe the larger one or two other large, sort of large shops are kind of all that's left. And the people are getting older and retiring. Or yeah, yeah. You know, um, no, it's it's a problem for sure. And I mean, who would, if you're young, why would you take a really badly paid job and live out in the middle of nowhere right. to, you know, I, it, it, it is a problem for sure. Um, I mean, I've generally gotten around that problem because of all of the years at the Royal Court where there wasn't any money anyway. You, you kind of, I mean, one of the reasons why it, perhaps my work doesn't look the, as great as it could is because I figure I'll do it cheaply mm-hmm. um, because we've had to freeze. I remember one year there was, there was like 400 pounds in the bank at the Royal Court. And they, there was an emergency meeting because they weren't going to be able to make payroll. And there was a <laughs> head carpenter called Jock Leonard who um, said, well, it's ridiculous. We should just take the 400 pounds and go down to the uh, betting shop and lay it on a horse. <laughs> Why not, right? Well, I certainly hope that people um, take note I don't know the funders. Uh, like this is something we have to save. I, uh, the um, I've we've often said, uh, and again, the people who have listened to this this podcast for many episodes will this will be an old saw. But uh, we have to find ways to make theater special, and not be duplicating the efforts of film or duplicating the experience of other uh, things on stage. I, I and don't find think there's any fear well, of right? that no. happening. Yeah, I theater will. I Jane and I have. Like, Jane cries at movies. I hardly ever cry at movies. But I do cry at theater, which she never does. She just can't believe that even though they're real people, it's not real. Right. <laughs> Whereas I can... So theater will take... There will always be there'll always be theater of some sort. You write about the craft, though, and I don't know what happens there. I've been told by Rod Hilliard, who has been working in the prop shop at the Shaw Festival for the last few years and is now working for the the um, Foster Festival. He said that that there's a lot of new young blood in the prop shop this year. I haven't been up there. I haven't seen, so I don't know. But that's... Well, that's uh, optimistic. That's optimistic. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we'll end there. Um, Very good. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. designer Peter Hartwell speaking to me from his home in Niagara on the lake in May of 2017. Next time, an interview with Rachel Forbes, an up-and-coming young designer with whom I spoke during my trip to the Shaw in May of 2017. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good and voiceover by Gabriel Cropley, a supporter. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Tuttleblock CA and on Facebook.com slash the Tuttleblock Podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to the Tuttleblock at gmail.com. Now, don't forget that if you like the show, support us on patreon.com. And feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you are fostering that panic you caught while Frenching Fraser down by the brook, smiting we. Oh, for crying out, McLeod. McIver might hit the highway while trying to healy that panic with Judith Thompson. <clears throat> yeah, dad jokes are us. 
I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. You can sort of be the judge of how much you want to say about whatever. And uh, I mean, this is not necessarily a gossip uh, show. So I'm not, you know. I suggest you go in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> <Become> terribly popular. <laughs>